Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. kind of just bring attention one more time. If you look in your order of service, under the message part, there's this thing called interpretive community. Uh, And I I mention this every once in a while, uh, but I figure I'll just mention it again today. Interpretive communities are groups of people that meet with me or whoever is preaching uh, on a given night of the week. This this semester, it's Monday nights. There's four people that meet with Jane or I or whoever is preaching. And uh, we read and talk about the scripture text um, that, that we're going to be talking and preaching about this Sunday. It's meant to engage the, uh, the larger church family with the scriptures together. It's meant to inf- make this that's happening here a community effort. And so uh, all these ideas, all the brilliance that you get up here is not from Jane and I. Uh, it's from the community of faith. I, I was joking that you were supposed to laugh about that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sympathy laugh. Uh, But these folks um, really, week in and week out, inform us more than I would say any commentaries have ever done. Uh, So we still do study, Uh, I still do read, Uh, but uh, these these folks uh, contribute a lot to, uh, to what you hear. When we met this last week, um, there were, there's four scripture texts and we followed the lectionary and um, somebody said, because I was a little late because of all the holidays getting out which text we were going to look at. Somebody said, oh, he'll probably pick 1 Samuel. That's probably his first choice. Second choice, probably be the psalm. Third choice, maybe the gospel reading. He's definitely not going to pick the Corinthians passage. Guess which one I picked. Pick the Corinthians passage, uh, partly because it's almost a discipline. And so in, um, I, I look back over the last year, reflecting on the last year and preaching and things, and we spent a lot of time, we followed the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the lectionary text for most of the year and then used the prophets throughout uh, the season of Advent and haven't really touched letters for a while, the New Testament letters, and so I thought as I saw some uh, Corinthians texts lined up back to back during the season of, of Epiphany, I thought, we'll do that. Then I read the text and I'm like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have committed to that. Um, so here's the text. You guys ready? This is going to be fun. Um, and, and frankly, um, this, is, this is more beautiful than it's going to sound. So let's hear it together. And then let's discover the beauty this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but... Not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, or, and the, the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I want to start with a question this morning that I want you to pay attention to how the question strikes you. Here's the question. What do you think of your body? What do you think of your body? Here's another question, and I don't want you to answer out loud. But I wonder when I asked that question, how many of us thought about the way that we look or the way that our bodies look or the way that we think other people's bodies look? Uh, This wouldn't be the case for all of us, uh, but my guess is that many of our thoughts uh, went to things related to desirability. I wonder if uh, our immediate responses to that question that went in that direction come about because of a cultural hyper-focus on the sexual aspect of the body. Not only about sex and sexual fulfillment, but on looking desirable and wanting others to desire us. I also wonder how many of us have heard this passage and, uh, or have heard this passage before and we're hyper-focused on the sexual language and the sexual implications of it. And I wonder why that is. I don't think it's just that it has something to do with the cultural, but I think it has something to do with the church, too. Because maybe it could be that the church and the messaging of the church also focuses on the sexual nature of the body. Our interpretive community mused uh, as we talked about this, as we read the scripture, and as we were like, well, this is going to be fun. As we engaged in this, um, we we kind of jokingly said about how in the context we grew up in, how uh, in our Zoom room we would have the men and the women separated in order to talk about this particular passage of scripture. We also talked about how uh, the messaging of such a text uh, from the pulpit or maybe in conversation would turn into a message of guilt and what to do and not to do sexually. And then what would be warnings about what would happen if you did. Some reflected on what was referred to, or if you're my age from 45, uh, was referred to the purity culture of our, our generation. But let's, uh, let, let's broaden this beyond the sexual nature of the things that we heard or maybe the desirability of our bodies that first came to our minds for some of us. But because for others of us, we might have thought about our bodies differently. What do you think of your body? Well, well here's some things that I think about when I think about my body. Through my eyes, I get to see some beautiful things, and so in the mornings the last couple days, or a couple times this week, there's some beautiful sunrises, and I, I'm pretty sure it was a planet, or a, at least a bright star that I got to see in the sliver of the moon. And so through my eyes, I can see beautiful things. But I'm also getting to the point where I need to make this iPad a lot bigger in order to read anything. Right? My eyes at 45 years old require me to re- uh, use reading glasses all the time. 
I love to listen to music and I love to listen to people and that is becoming increasingly hard for me. I, I wear a hearing aid. Uh, some of you might not know that, but I do and now I gotta put it back in. I have significant hearing loss in my left ear and it's becoming actually worse, it feels like. I've had this thing for four years and it's helpful. Um, but I notice it all the time and my family likes to remind me all the time. What was that? What's that? That's like my favorite word lying at home. What's that? And Ruby has been gracious, my kids less so. Um, <laughs> there's also this ringing that happens in my head that I, I, can't, I can't shake. Uh, I love to be in nature. Uh, and, and a few uh, friends of mine went hiking in the Adirondacks and I was really quickly reminded that my knees no longer can hold a 40 pound pack for miles of hiking without really, 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 really hurting and taking several weeks to recover. My brain and my heart love to talk to one another and love to learn and process things. Um, there's also a funny chemistry up there happening that leads to more than a few complications for me in daily life, depending on the day of the week or the season. So each of us have our own stories. And all that to say, our bodies help us do amazing things. They play music and they birth children and build houses and create art and are messengers of compassion and presence to others. And they're broken. And the desire of God is to make these broken bodies God's own home. So while the passage uses the subject of sexual fulfillment as an illustration, I think this passage is about something much more significant. I think it's about how much God values our bodies, your body, as something sacred. I think Paul's words invite us to think about how our bodies participate in life with God. Paul uses sexual language, there's no way around that, we'll explore why, but I think what Paul is doing here is elevating the goodness of our bodies. So let's just go down a couple verses at a time and, and look and think together about what Paul is saying. Verses 12 and 13. Paul's quoting an idea they have. I have the right to do anything you say or the Corinthians say. But he responds, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything the Corinthians say. But Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. And so Paul begins by quoting some things that are common in their vernacular, some thoughts that uh, are, are common uh, in, in their conversation in the Corinthian church. So this isn't just in the city of Corinth. These are people within the city of Corinth trying to follow Jesus within the cultural milieu of that city, no less impacting them. So Paul says, you say I have the right to do everything. Paul responds, but not everything's beneficial. Later on, Paul will argue for freedom, that uh, whom Christ sets free is free indeed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He argues for those things, but as with anything, a truth that is true can be misappropriated to support a desire. Paul goes on to say, you say I have the right to do anything. 
But Paul corrects and says, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Commentator Eugene Yung Chung Park says, freedom, if misused, can lead into slavery to desire. Freedom, if and when misused, can turn into freedom or to slavery to desire. They say that the stomach is meant for food and food for the stomach, and they extend that to the body. And this is Paul's part of Paul's argument. <clears throat> excuse me. To say that, the, that they're, they're inevitably, or they're, they're saying the body is for sex and sex is for the body. And God's going to destroy both of them, so what's it matter? Notice the view of the body that the Corinthians have. You see, they devalued their bodies, reducing them simply to a temple of desire. And not to mention something that they believed was going to be destroyed anyway. So Paul continues on to offer a correction, verses, latter part of verse 13 and then 14. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. What Paul is offering is a correction to their misbelief and their misbehavior. He's offering an elevation of the body as something that is sacred. The purpose of the body is not limited to the fulfillment of desire, in this case, sexual desire, nor is the body destined for destruction. We're not going to just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die, as Ecclesiastes says, and Dave Matthews sings in Trippin' Billies. Um, Eat, drink, and be merry. Sorry, Dave. Uh, But this isn't the message of the implication of the resurrection of Jesus to the human body. Instead, what Paul is doing is reminding them that God is about the work of redeeming the human body. Death, both in temporal senses as we experience hearing losses and brain chemistry things, and you can fill in your own blanks, but as we experience death both in this temporal sense and in a final sense, doesn't have the last word on our bodies, either now or eternally, is what Paul is arguing. God is working to bring life to our mortal bodies. And in fact, will raise and transform these bodies eventually into heavenly ones. And so the body is important, indispensable. It's not just a place for temporal desires. It is the very place where we meet God. You cannot meet God absent from your body. We're not just spiritual beings. We are spiritual embodied beings. And so the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The resurrection of Jesus is an incredibly powerful statement on the value of our physical bodies. Faith and spirituality, no matter how you use the language of spirituality, from a Christian perspective, are not disembodied. They aren't just spiritual, they're bodily. There's messaging about the body that began before the time of Christ and continues into our own age today. It's the language of the ancient belief called Gnosticism. Gnosticism would say that the physical, our our physical selves, our physical bodies are, are corrupt. But the spiritual is good and eternal, and so the goal is to do away or whatever you do in the physical body doesn't really matter because the goal is to attain a greater spiritual significance. 
The implications then would be to devalue, in, in terms of Gnosticism, devalue the present physical world, believing instead in an elevated spiritual world. Jesus does away with such kinds of thinking, and Jesus, flesh and spirit, come together. They inhabit the same space. The resurrection of Jesus, the reuniting of flesh and spirit, is the ultimate statement on the value of our flesh. The resurrected physical body of Jesus is the ultimate statement on the value of your bodies. Whereas Gnosticism would degrade and devalue our physical bodies, the resurrection of Jesus tells us how valuable they are. As Paul will say later in Romans chapter 8, of our physical and decaying bodies, they were bought with, the pri- with, with a price. No, that's in this passage. Romans 8 is coming next. They were bought with a price with the body of Christ himself. So Christ gives himself to redeem our bodies, not just eternally, not just eternally, but now. The redemption of Christ for our bodies is not just something that happens future, but happens now. It is through our weary eyes and weak knees and complicated brain chemistry and what other, other physical ailments and imperfections and suffering and sickness that we experience the grace and the mercy of God with us. It's in and through these things that God comes to us in these physical bodies. These are places where we experience God. However, regrettably, some Christian thinking has sided with the Gnostics. They believe that the body is wholly defiled by sin, and this has led many to speak harshly of the body. In fact, most of the language of the church around sex or sexuality or the body is, is framed in the negative, right? It's the nots, it's the do nots. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. And if that is the only message of the church towards the body, we are giving up an incredible piece of the good news of Jesus about how to understand our bodies, how to love and respect and care for our bodies the way that God does. So many people have spoken harshly of the body or they focus on the brokenness of our bodily experience. As one of the members of our our interpretive community mentioned in his line of work this last week, it's even led some people to look at those with some physical disability as less than human. But Paul won't have any of this. He says in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? He then goes on to say, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Again, we have sexual language, but what I think Paul is doing here is drawing the contrast to what the body is meant for and the value of the body versus how they're thinking about their physical selves and their desires and treating their bodies and other people's bodies. As a good Jew steeped in the history of Israel, Paul is also probably recalling of all the ways throughout the Old Testament narrative that uniting sexually with somebody automatically brought in the idols of that culture too. Paul's saying something incredibly important here. Our bodies, 
not just the ones that are going to be for forever glorious, but these bodies, right here, right now, broken, not in great health maybe, struggling with health. Our bodies, right now, as they are, are members of Christ himself. Think about how profound a statement that is. Our bodies, not our perfect heavenly bodies, but these aching, struggling, imperfect bodies are members of Christ himself. Therefore, every body, no matter what its ability to function at whatever capacity, is not only loved by God, but one with God. And as Paul will later say, is filled with the Spirit of God. Our bodies are meant to be treated in a covenantal way. And yes, we will break that, and we do break that covenant over and over towards God, but God never does that towards us. God never breaks God's covenant towards us, God's value towards us, God's value not only to our spirit, but to our body. God wants to to elevate the value of our physical selves to its created covenantal purpose. Not settling for temporal satisfaction of desire, but God wants to elevate our bodies to its intended, their intended covenantal purposes. Paul goes on in verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in his body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is with one with him in spirit. We go back again to this idea of what happens when the flesh is disconnected from the spirit. As the beginning argument went, uh, because both will be destroyed anyway, what's it really matter? But what Paul is saying here is that what you do in the flesh very much impacts your spirit. And what you do in the spirit or in our spiritual formation into Christ-likeness is embodied through the flesh. In other words, there's a union and a unity between flesh and spirit, not a separation. You can't separate them. What we do in our spiritual lives is embodied by our bodies. What we do, likewise, in our bodies informs our spiritual lives and forms our spiritual life. I think of it another way, too. The presence of God in us, in our spirit, Think about that for a moment. God's spirit in us, making a home in us, dwelling in us, in our spirit, in these physical bodies, gives us the strength, the hope, the mercy that we need to live within the constraints of these bodies. Within sickness and struggle and aging and aching bones and all of the things. And receiving grace in sickness and struggle and aging and aching bones forms our spirit and unites us more and more to the mercy and grace and life of God. What we will not have in our earthly life, and this is also cultural messaging, right? What we will not have are perfected bodies or life experiences. And this is also what is sold to us about our bodies, is that these things that are happening to our bodies, these 
deformities, these sicknesses, these struggles, these things. They shouldn't happen. They shouldn't be that way. And so we're, we're just going to try to, instead of accept them, not deny them, we're going to try to get rid of them. Right? And so we'll have any numbers of things to get rid of them. And, and some of those things are helpful. But it's not helpful when it causes us to deny the fact that we're human and that we're broken and breaking down. It's not helpful when it causes us to have pseudo-hopes that we're going to be a perfect person. We're not, ever. We're not Nietzsche's Ubermesh, the, the, the ideal human. We're never going to attain that. In this body, it will be a broken body. But you know what? It seems to be okay with God that, that we're less than perfection. Because Jesus enters into this less than perfection in order to be with us, which just continues the whole message of the whole scripture to say that God dwells with us, not as, as, not as God wants us to be, because then God would never dwell with us, but as we are. And so we'll never have perfection. Get rid of that idea that you're going to have perfection, that you're going to either physically in your body or spiritually in your body. You're going to be some perfect human being that is going to be utterly pleasing to God. The only way you can be utterly pleasing to God is to utterly receive the mercy of God day in, day out, with every breath. That's the only thing that God is asking of you. So we don't have a perfect body, a perfect life experience. What we do have, and this is Romans 8, is God giving life to our mortal bodies. That does not say, Paul does not say, God gives life making our bodies immortal. That will happen someday. That's 1 Corinthians 15. We'll get there. But that's not now. That's not this. God gives life to our mortal, these bodies. Okay, verse 18, we get to a cryptic verse, and I'll be straight up, don't know what to do with this. All right? Here it is. Flee from sexual immorality. Got that. This is what I don't get. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I don't know what he means, because there are numbers of things that I can think of in my body, that I, or, or numbers of sins that impact my body. I don't know... Why Paul is hyper-focused, maybe, because the theme is sexuality here, and so that's what he's zoning in on. I, I have no idea, but murder, I feel like, would impact my body, as does gluttony, you know, bags of chips at 10.30 at night, not helpful. <laughs> or at 10.30 in the morning. So there's a host of things. I don't know what Paul's exactly getting at by, by being so narrow. But I do think I understand sinning against my own body, at least in part. When I treat my body as, as if it's something that God doesn't care about, when I treat it as less than the sacred temple that it is, I sin against my body. So in all, in all the ways that we degrade our body as something less than sacred, we sin against our bodies. 
And I think really one of the things that it's getting at here is God wants better for us than we do for ourselves. And God thinks better of each one of you than, than you do of yourself. So I don't know exactly what to do with verse 18. Some other people might have other thoughts. Feel free, feel free to let me know. But this is what Paul closes with. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your bodies, friends, your, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Let me translate that for you. Temples are sacred places. Your body is sacred. Your body is sacred. Your body may not feel like it for one of a thousand reasons, but God loves your body and considers it sacred. And God desires for us to treat it sacredly. God desires for us to treat one another sacredly. And maybe some of us need to hear that our bodies are sacred because you might have received messaging from others that have treated or said things about your physical selves or your physical bodies that have not treated you sacredly. People may have done things or said things to you or about you physically that have treated your body as less than. But friends, I want, I want you to hear that God considers your bodies sacred. Sacred enough that he considers them a temple in which to dwell. And so no matter what you think of your body, God loves it. God gave himself for that very body, for your very body. God desires to take up residence in that very body. No matter what it looks like or how well it does or doesn't function, God desires to take up residence there. And so Paul ends by saying, honor your body. There's probably a million ways that we could think about how to honor our body, a million to-dos. This is what we can do in order to honor our body. But here's what I'd suggest. It's pretty simple, actually. Honor your body as Christ honors your body. And here's what I mean by that. The word honor here, Greek word is doxadzo. Doxadzo. You might pick up on Doxology. This is where the word doxology comes from. Doxology praises, honors, makes glorious something. This is why we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. We honor, we praise, we make glorious God's name. And, and friends, this is, this is not hyper-elevating our bodies. It's bringing up our bodies to the sacredness in which they are. But I think 
I think God sings doxology over our bodies. He loves them. This is the form in which he's created us in. This is the form in which he enters into the world. Can you think, uh, the, way, the way that you honor God with your body is by singing doxology over that body. That's not worshiping, it's not self-worship, it's not any of that, don't, don't take it in that direction. But God honors our bodies so much that God takes on a body in the person of Christ, dies in that very body, is raised in that very body, brings life to our mortal bodies, dwells in us through the Holy Spirit in our mortal bodies, and one day will take the the dust and the rot from these mortal bodies that are gonna end up in the ground in some form or another, and is going to resurrect them in a body. We're going to have an embodied eternity because bodies matter. Your body matters. This is what God thinks of us. And God has went, and I think continues to go to great lengths to bring life to our bodies. And so may we receive the grace and the mercy to value our bodies as much as God does. Amen.